Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 68. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Precision Hydration make electrolyte products to help you individualize your hydration to suit your individual sweat sodium content and sweat rate. And to do that, they have created a sweat test, which is an online quiz that you can take. It takes just a few minutes and the end result will be that you get a complete hydration plan for how much sodium you should consume in your fluid in training and racing. And you can find that test on precisionhydration.com under the tab free hydration plan. If you want to try Precision Hydration's Electrolyte products, you can get 15% off your entire order with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW15. Or you can try your first box or tube for free with the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW. And big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka are the world-leading manufacturers of wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles and high-performance eyewear. And on the eyewear side, we're not talking just for sports. It's also prescription glasses and the like with uh, different uh, customizable options. And just like with their sports and triathlon ranges, the eyewear ranges have gone through really heavy research and development to make sure that the details are really on point and that uh, the products are of super high quality. You can get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS20 on roca.com. All right, so let's get into today's first question. And just as a warning, by the way, if you're somebody that doesn't really like uh, theory and physiology, this first question is a bit theoretical and physiological, but that's because the second question, which is a very practical one, uh, feeds very nicely into this first one so that's the reason that i ordered them so uh, i would recommend that you still listen to this question and uh, because then you will get uh, more out of the next one so here we go hi michael big fan of the podcast i learned so much listening to you over the past few months so thank you i've heard you mention a few times that we should train all energy systems and while i have a vague concept of what this means I'm wondering if you could clarify what you mean, so I can make sure I understand correctly. Does it simply mean aerobic and anaerobic energy systems? Creatine phosphate, lactate and aerobic or something else? As a further question, what intensity zones would best target these energy systems? Thanks, Luke. Thank you for your question, Luke, and uh, I have to admit that I'm probably a bit sloppy with the use of the term systems, and I'm the first to admit that. What I what I have meant in this context, at least, is that I just mean hitting different intensity zones or intensity ranges across the board from very low intensity to very high intensity. So uh, you could say simply, train in these different training intensity zones, but what I want to clarify here is that uh, for somebody training in uh, something like a three-zone model, uh, that would of course be interpreted differently to somebody training in a Coggan seven-zone model. So uh, so what I've been meaning here is something that is a bit more granular than the three-zone model. So uh, five zones, for example, plus, uh, plus some sprints. So essentially, 
essentially it's uh, sprinting is zone 7 in Cargon's 7 zone model and zone 6 in Cargon's 7 zone model is anaerobic capacity and for some triathletes this uh, might also be a good target uh, but this is the the one that I think isn't uh, as important as the others are when it comes to non-draft focusing triathletes. If you are, on the other hand, a cyclist or you are a draft uh, draft legal triathlete, then it's a different story and then that zone is also very important. But uh, yeah, to recap here, I'm referring to hitting the five zones of a five zone system plus the seventh zone of Kogan's uh, zone seven and potentially zone six as well. Uh, so that's what I mean. And in terms of actual physiological energy system systems, as you say, we have our anaerobic and uh, aerobic uh, metabolisms. And within the anaerobic metabolism, we have uh, both creatine phosphate, uh, and that is the main contributor at durations shorter than 10 seconds. And uh, then we have glycolysis, which is the main contributor at durations longer than about uh, 10 seconds. Anaerobic metabolism does not need oxygen. And unlike the aerobic metabolism, the... The one and only fuel source is uh, carbohydrate when it, when we're talking about the anaerobic energy. On the aerobic metabolism side of things, we can produce energy through oxidation of either fats or carbohydrates. And of course, both at the same time. It's not an on and off switch. It's uh, like uh, dimmers. So depending on the intensity level, the the relative amounts of each substrate usage will increase or decrease. So the higher the intensity, the more uh, we switch towards carbohydrate and the lower the intensity, the more the focus is on fats. And the aerobic metabolism, as the name suggests, it happens in the presence of oxygen. So it requires oxygen to occur. One thing here that is really important to understand, uh, just like uh, fat and carbohydrate are not on and off switches, and but they're dimmers, the same goes for the general um, usage of aerobic and anaerobic energy in our metabolism when we exercise. It's not either one or the other. Uh, they're always contributing, uh, but then the relative contribution of each depends on the intensity. So the higher intensity, the more anaerobic contribution. And uh, the aerobic contribution, it only keeps increasing until you get to a certain point where it can't increase anymore, where, where it's maxed out. So that's what happens. It never decreases with intensity. So uh, so that's an, another point that I wanted to make. And then when we're talking about these training zones that I'm referring to, they each physiologically result uh, result in, in a certain contribution of aerobic and anaerobic energy, so a certain relative contribution. And uh, within the aerobic energy specifically, they also each result in variations in how much of that energy comes from carbohydrate oxidation, oxidation versus uh, fat oxidation, uh, which is intensity dependent. So in other words, when you do some training in each training zone, which is what I suggest that you should do over the course of uh, an extended period like a season, then you also do some training in each of this range of different metabolic states. I think metabolic state might be a, a good term to use here. And uh, and I my belief is that to not neglect any of these metabolic states is a good thing. 
but of course how much training you do in the different training zones and targeting different metabolic states that is of course going to vary uh, depending on what your uh, physiological profile is what your strengths and weaknesses are what your goal race is etc but the one important point to keep in mind is that for 99% of endurance athletes the zone two in a five zone model is going to be the number one training zone that you should hit over and over again throughout the year with no exceptions so zone two obviously is a fairly low intensity but not quite as low as a recovery shuffle so it is that point where you are approaching your maximum fat oxidation level and uh, and but you are still not really kicking the glycolysis and anaerobic uh, anaerobic energy metabolism into any significant significant gear and we've had plenty of interviews with experts talking about the importance of, of this type of training so i don't need to go into that right now but to answer then the this, the second question of what intensity zones target each system uh, in air quotes uh, i will be doing that now using a, a five zone model and i'll link to my google sheets at calculator to calculate training zones if you want to see how i calculate the five training zones or actually six training zones when when we add the anaerobic uh, training zone and uh, then also sprinting which would be um, basically maximum all out but i will be sticking to the five main ones here so when we're training at zone one we are targeting the aerobic metabolism and uh, mostly fat oxidation fat, fat is the main contributor here in zone two, it's still very much an aerobic effort. Uh, we have both fat and carb oxidation going on here. Carb oxidation is ramping up, as is fat oxidation. It's still increasing, and it will hit fat max at some point, so the maximum fat oxidation rate. And that will happen within this zone. And uh, we're making the assumption here that uh, we're talking about an athlete that does enough low-intensity training and actually executes this low intensity training at the correct level for them. In this case, fat will be have a bigger contrib contribution of energy than, than carbs, but that might change depending on the type of athlete we have in front of us. So, uh, so with zone two, this is uh, kind of the tricky part. If you're somebody who has constantly been going too hard in training, and you just do a field test to assess your zone two, your actual physiological zone 2 might be much lower than that field test would suggest. So that is why physiological testing like lactate testing or something else like insight testing can be really good to, to get a better idea of what your physiology, physiology is actually doing. But, uh, but either way, if you have been training the way an endurance athlete should be training with enough low intensity and executing that correctly then that shouldn't be an issue for you and field tests will give you a, a fair idea of, of where you should be training. So zone two is your bread and butter training zone for improving your, your aerobic metabolism and your aerobic capacity. And actually just on Monday in episode 215 with David Bishop, we talked a lot about why that is and what, what is going on and why, why this type of training is so important. Zone 3 is where the anaerobic glycolysis is kicking in and starting to contribute uh, quite a bit more. Uh, the aerobic metabolism continues to ramp up as well. And here now the carbohydrate usage overtakes fat usage as the main fuel source. 
but note that even though glycolysis is, is kicking in, uh, this is still uh, very much aerobic intensity and uh, the aerobic energy production, uh, as I said, it keeps going up here compared to where it was in zone two. In terms of training benefits here, the theory goes that this is a good training zone for improving the aerobic oxidative capacity of the type 2A fast twitch uh, muscle fibers, which generally uh, aren't very good for endurance activities, but they can be trained, they are trainable. Uh, so that is what we're trying to achieve with this type of training. And, uh, and if we achieve that, then those type 2A fast twitch fibers can help carry the load of the type 1 slow twitch fibers, which results in improved endurance performance. In zone 4, we have a continued increase in the rate of glycolysis, so anaerobic energy contribution. And at some point in this zone, we reach a point where uh, the aerobic metabolism is almost fully fueled by carbohydrate and contribution of fats gets negligible. So we are working at a high rate of glycolysis here and a high oxygen uptake and a high rate of carbohydrate-fueled aerobic metabolism. Physiologically, one of the, the aspects that we can work on here uh, pretty uniquely is uh, lactate shuttling, which is a term that has uh, multiple facets to it. But for example, uh, it, uh, it incorporates how we can get lactate from the cytosol of the cell where lactate was produced in glycolysis in the first place, and how it can move from the cytosol into the mitochondria to be used as a, a substrate in the aerobic metabolism. And then we have zone 5, which is your maximum aerobic capacity. So the glycolysis rate is now very high, and the aerobic metabolism uh, gets saturated or closely saturated within this zone. So uh, you are you can no longer uptake any more oxygen and uh, your aerobic metabolism is working on all its uh, cylinders and it's completely fueled by carbohydrates. You can go even harder as uh, a total output. Uh, you can go into zone 6 for example and do things like 30 second intervals with long recoveries and uh, the way that that happens, the way that you can produce that amount of additional power is that your glycolysis rate goes up even further but there is no way, no matter how much harder you try to go, no matter how much more power you push out, you won't be able to increase your aerobic energy production uh, anymore. Because at this point, at your VO2 max, your oxygen uptake is maxed out and saturated. So for this reason, this uh, zone is a powerful stimulus for improvement in that aerobic capacity through many different adaptations that happen centrally and peripherally. So that's a short rundown of uh, the five main zones. And uh, then I mentioned zone six, that is uh, really focusing on glycolysis, your anaerobic capacity through glycolysis. And uh, so it goes beyond your maximum aerobic capacity. And zone seven would be the neuromuscular or sprinting zone, which is all out for 10 seconds or less, essentially. So thanks for sending in your question, Luke. I hope that this gives you your answer. The next question is from uh, Ricard in Sweden who writes, in many of your training talks, for example, the base training episode, the main focus is often people uh, training for one or a few goal races, and those are often long or middle distance races. With that perspective, I can clearly understand the different periodization approaches, starting with the base training, ending with the race specific training, and so on. 
But for me, my main goal is never a specific race. Sure, the races are important, but the most important is to get faster over time. Uh, I'm thinking that if I, for example, can improve my 10k runtime uh, from, for example, 39 to 38 minutes, that will improve my running over all distances and for all races. And the same goes for biking and swimming. So my question is how to plan a year to maximize general fitness improvements. My plan right now is similar to how Dan Lodang described it in the episode with him, with cycling through a couple of technique to strength to speed to economization cycles over a year. For me, I'm focusing on zone 5 in phases 2 and 3, and zone 4 in phase 4 to get the most bang for the buck. Uh, Or I might do some zone 3 work in phase 4, for example, if I have a middle distance race coming up. Does this sound seem like a good approach? I mostly do sprint or Olympic distance races over a season, so those paces are the most relevant to me, but the half Ironman distance is where I'm the best and most competitive. However, I most often only do one of those per year, and I rarely have more than a couple of race-specific training weeks in advance. All right, thank you, Ricard, for your question. So uh, now I'm sure you can see how this relates directly to the question above, because the question above was uh, about what the idea of hitting all the different intensity zones is, or what is meant with that. And uh, that is why I picked these two questions for the same episode. So as I said in the first question, I believe strongly that uh, that during the season you should be hitting all of the aforementioned intensity zones and also including a bit of speed and neuromuscular work, that zone 7 type of work. Uh, so uh, examples of that would be 10 second sprints on the bike, 25 meter sprints in the pool, 50 meter strides or 30 meter hill sprints on the run, things like that. Now, how you order what training to do when and even a fundamental question such as should you focus on one intensity zone in one block or do you mix different zones in the same block that's where there isn't one right answer there are many ways to skin a cat and uh, many different approaches that have worked uh, for different people and some will strongly say that you should uh, you should focus on one uh, one intensity type in one block and some will propose a more uh, mixed uh, stimuli approach and uh, and I think that both options work and this is where it uh, gets really important to uh, just try see see what works for you and learn this by trial and error but also by making educated guesses the more you know the better guesses you can make so of course some sort of physiological testing could be very important to help you determine your strengths and weaknesses uh, to see, for example, if you're lacking in a particular area, and then that could be a priority for a bigger portion of the season. But uh, even just basic field tests can give you some idea of that. And as I said, knowledge of yourself and how you respond to different types of training is uh, also absolutely critical to to be aware of. So to answer your question on how to plan the training for, for a year for general fitness improvements, I do think that the type of... Uh, Uh, cycling through different phases that Dan proposes is a good example of something that uh, that can work really well I've used it with uh, many athletes and yeah I think it is a great place to start it tends to 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 give good results as some general guidance when you're working with these different blocks certain types of training for example VO2 max they start to show diminishing returns pretty quickly 
so each phase should probably not last any more than at most five to six weeks that means that over a year you have time for at least two full cycles if you do let's say six week phases Um, but there wouldn't be anything wrong in having the blocks be shorter than six weeks or some of them be shorter than six weeks which means that you might be able to fit in uh, three of these cycles or maybe even four uh, full cycles in a year now if i were to use dance cycle as a a general model uh, for training for improving fitness over the course of a year rather than for a specific preparation for a race then something like the following uh, would be what i might land at so the first phase the technique phase uh, you will be working on the technique obviously and uh, basic aerobic development so zone two mostly some zone one perhaps but also including some true speed work so sprints as we just mentioned the second phase the strength phase this is where you would be doing zone two and zone three work with high force components so this means hill running big gear and the hill running by the way might you might have to do that uh, on a treadmill or that's uh, one of the best ways to do that uh, big gear cycling low cadence work and using paddles for swimming so zone two and zone three as the the output power for example the bike is a good a good way to uh, to visualize this type of uh, of intensity you don't need to go any harder than that because the actual force produced will still be uh, great enough to see the adaptations that we're looking for in this strength endurance phase also in this phase i would still uh, keep the speed work so some sprints in all three disciplines as mentioned before in the next phase the speed phase i might actually combine zone 5 and zone 4 here so for example let's say that we have a let's say that we have a six week block so you you would determine how many depending on how much you train how many of your workouts can be high intensity workouts and in each discipline that might be different in the different disciplines and uh, and obviously your goal isn't necessarily to maximize them because you also need to have enough of the low intensity base building workouts so so i'm not saying that you should if you can handle five per week you should do that that's that's not the point that's probably not a good idea but uh, pick a realistic number that uh, that also gives you plenty of low intensity training so uh, so you, uh, you you're landing on a number and then the idea here is that in each discipline do half of those high intensity workouts as zone 5 workouts and half of them as zone 4 workouts that way you hit both systems in this high intensity phase six weeks might be a long time for this sort of block actually so i might probably shorten that to uh, to four weeks that might be a better a better option and maybe even uh, a little bit of a mini recovery block in the middle of that within that block so but this way you get to work on plenty of intensity and um, and you will be able to then recover from that in the next phase so uh, so that would be the idea here because the point that i'm trying to make is that zone 5 and zone 4 are very high intensities and they are pre-taxing so you don't necessarily want to be doing them for too large a portion of the year because they are very potent but also uh, they can be abused by doing them too much so uh, so the idea here would be to limit them to one of your phases of training maybe sprinkle them in to the next phase or so to maintain the gains that you've made that is probably a good idea to do but that would be just sprinkling and not really focusing on them so that leads us to the next phase the economization phase and this is where 
I would suggest you do your long tempo runs and rides, so sun-free type of work. And alternatively, it might be some race pace work uh, if you have a race coming up after this race. But uh, but in most cases, I would say that uh, that the the tempo runs and rides should be the bread and butter here. And especially if your racing distance is sprint and Olympic, then yeah, you could include a couple of race and uh, or sprint and Olympic distance specific workouts here. But uh, I wouldn't do too many of them because chances are you might leave your race out in training if you do too much. So uh, so do that with care. Uh, but you would still, even if you don't have a race coming up, I would still include some true speed work again, going back to those sprints, in addition to the tempo work, which uh, would be the main suggestion here. And um, yeah, I think that if you're main focus events even if you are not focusing on any particular event but if generally they are the durations that are 10k and longer type of durations then this sort of setup would work really well overall but uh, a very important point that i want to mention again the low intensity training in zone 2 and some in zone 1 it should always be present here throughout the year and always be the main part of your training Uh, so that is really important to remember Keep in mind that this is just one suggestion of many different options that could work. Uh, but uh, but in general, uh, I think that this would work well for you. And just make sure that you avoid some common mistakes that I already alluded to. For example, spending too long times doing too much high intensity. That would be one common mistake that I see. And the second would be to focus too much on the actual intensity zones in each block here from uh, zone 3 up to zone 5 and even higher and forgetting that this should all be built on that strong foundation of aerobic training that you just keep building and keep prioritizing over the year. Uh, So uh, you could even consider throwing in a couple of blocks of pure zone 2 training where pretty much all you do for two weeks is to go out and do long workouts in zone 2. So those are a couple of mistakes to avoid. And in the day-to-day grind of your training, always make sure that you stay on top of your training consistency or frequency and your volume, because those are three variables or words to live by for us endurance athletes. So I hope this helps, Rickard, and good luck with your season. And finally, we have a short question, which is from Leon, who is a customer of my strength training plan that you can find on scientifictriathlon.com. Leon asks, what are your thoughts about wearing a lifting belt? Is it too much of a crutch or is it good protection from injury? Thanks for your question, Leon. Uh, My thoughts on this is that uh, if you can lift pretty close to the same weights without the belt as with it, then don't use it. Uh, For us endurance athletes, what we want to get out of multi-joint movements like the squat is to have to use the whole body in a very functional way and this is how we'll get the most benefit from the exercise for for our needs and and the demands of our sport for weightlifters it uh, may be a very different story as they may want to limit the strain on certain joints and muscle groups while still working other muscle groups or joints as heavy as before but they have completely different end goals than we do so it makes sense for them to do so but it doesn't mean that we should However, if uh, right now it's very difficult or impossible for you to uh, be lifting anywhere near the same weights without the belt as with the belt and also keeping good form while you do so, 
then it can make sense to use it, but you should simultaneously be working towards uh, weaning off using that belt and being able to lift with good form and at close to the same weight as with it without the belt. I would say that uh, the main criteria here in terms of how much difference between lifting with the belt and without the belt should be, if you're within 20% or so of what you can lift with the belt when you're lifting without the belt, then it's fine. Then I don't think that you need to be need to be using using the belt. You're close enough and, and you will only improve. But if you're below that, so the difference is bigger, then maybe it does make sense to use it for now. And as I said, working towards uh, not having to use it anymore. So in terms of what it, what your workouts might look like if you are in the situation where you should be using it right now, perhaps, let's say you have two to three sets of squats prescribed as your main lift. Before that set, do a warm-up set of uh, two to three sets, two to three warm-up sets, starting with the first set using just the bar. Then the second one, very light weights, or just the bar if that's all that you can do while keeping good form. And then you increase the weights even further in the third warm-up set if you can. Otherwise, keep the same weight as the previous one. Just make sure that uh, these warm-up sets are done without the belt and they are all with great form, no mistakes whatsoever. Then when you get to the main set, the main two to three sets, you can put on the belt for now and uh, go and uh, try to lift with slightly higher weights, but still maintaining form and minimizing injury risk. Don't go crazy on the weights, even when you're putting the belt on. It's always better to err on the side of a lot of caution than to risk anything, especially for us triathletes when we are in the gym, because uh, sometimes we do stupid things if we don't stop ourselves. So, uh, But over time, as part of that non-belt warm-up, work your way towards being able to lift closer and closer to the main set weights with the belt. And once you are within that 20%, stop using the belt, drop the weights in the main set to what you can handle without the belt and uh, take it from there. So that's my take. I hope that that helps. And that's it for today's Q&A. I'll link in the episode description to uh, episodes with David Bishop and Dan Lodang that I mentioned and to the training zones calculator that I also mentioned. And remember to keep sending in questions for future Q&A episodes to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a K. If you are preparing for races this year and need help or guidance, check out our website scientifictriathlon.com and the training plans, coaching services and so on that we're offering there. Uh, to help you get the most out of your triathlon training. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get a free hydration plan and get 15% off your entire order with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And thank you to Roka for sponsoring that triathlon show. Check them out on roka.com. If you are looking for wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles and high-performance eyewear, Roka is the place to go and you can get 20% off your order with the promo code TTS20. Thank you as always for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.